0: This is Contra Radio from Contra.Scott. Hello, dear parishioners, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon with me, David Jameson. What does it mean when the powerful protest against their own power? It was frankly bizarre to see unions, and particularly the Scottish Trade Union Congress, congratulate Nicola Sturgeon on her appearance at a picket line for a strike against her own government policies earlier this week. Weirder still, the STUC General Secretary followed up the next day by paying homage to Sturgeon in the pages of The National, endorsing the former First Minister's self-image as a warrior against social polarisation. Meanwhile in the US... Joe Biden is the first US President ever to attend a strike picket. He, too, was praised for his act of solidarity by a range of figures on the left. Yet he joins the fray at a time when the United Auto Workers have never been weaker, never less positioned to put the frighteners on him. Perhaps these facts are not unconnected. A popular theory in recent years has suggested that capacity building – the reconstruction of defensive union-type infrastructure in workplaces and communities is the task of the hour, and the only ultimate hope for the reanimation of a working-class politics. After all, how can you have socialist objectives without a healthy labour movement that makes them feasible, and from which politics can draw strategic lessons and numerical clout? But what if the inverse is also true? Without a mass socialist politics, it becomes harder to rebuild a viable labour movement, because the roof on class politics remains so low, and the anti-working class institutions that predominate, like the governing political parties, seem inevitable. At least we don't need to argue chickens and eggs, as the socialist cause long predates modern unions, which have existed at scale for a fraction of the history of capitalism. At its most powerful, the labour movement was staffed by militants who believed what they were doing was building a grand, systemic alternative, not just fighting for immediate needs. The condescension of history means we've forgotten that the 19th and 20th century proletariat was just as addicted to the quest for power, and even to utopia, as were the soft handed intellectuals. Today, collective organisation is strongest among better paid, better educated workers who are more closely integrated with public institutions. The big battalions are educators in schools, colleges and universities. Some of the reasons might be structural. These are some of the largest workplaces in the country, along with hospitals in parts of the civil service, other relatively well organised sectors. But surely, intangible factors also play a role. Self-confidence and social capital, the continued status that accrues, for now and increasingly, to the professions, but which has been robbed from the mass of wage labourers. Here, an ephemeral stake in the system might take the place of some larger vision of social reorganisation. Professionals have always resisted the degradation of their status, and a slide into the anonymity and squalid conditions below. Where blue-collar and private sector workers do wield real power, including in the recent strike movement where they achieved some of the only inflation-busting wage rises, lorry drivers and dockers exercise a natural chokehold on the circulation of commodities. But elsewhere, a sense of the hopelessness of politics hangs over industrial activity like a damp fog. This is all just to say that there is no easy separation between a real struggle of economic demands and a total vision of society, which every worker carries in their head, and is not reducible either to the whole worker expressed by modern syndicalists as economic needs that exist outside the workplace, rent, inflation, services, etc. The strike movement of 2022-3 reiterated these divisions in the workforce. It was dominated by traditionally unionised industries, mostly in the public sector. The good news is that where workers are organised, they respond to inflation with collective action. Gravity is still in effect. And we can assume that were it not for that action, wages would have sunk lower. There is no knowing today what lessons this has planted for the future. But the balance sheet for now is grim. University and hospital staff are facing a massive 7% real terms pay cut overall. Teachers aren't faring a great deal better. In fact, The prevailing conditions of public sector austerity mean that private sector wages have outstripped union pay deals. In Royal Mail, pay-in conditions are being hammered, and CWU activists hounded. For many union leaders, eyes are now turning to a Starmer government. No matter how craven he is, the hope will be that the lashings of recent years will end, with less active hostility to unions and more public spending. Without permanent, anti-systemic, popular organisation, energies are feeding back into the core institutions of the system. This is a permanent feature of modern politics. Consider some social movements, large and small, of recent years. Black Lives Matter in the US was a gigantic street-level mobilisation, stretched in two great waves over several years and two presidencies people often conveniently forget it began under Obama. It has left behind next to no legacy organisation. The official BLM outfit, in receipt of enormous capitalist funds, collapsed amid a torrid corruption scandal. The afterlife of the movement was steered into Biden's election campaign and parked in the orbit of the Democratic Party. This is also where the Bernie Sanders movement retired. Sanders himself has taken loyal posts in the centrist democratic order, for example as chair of the Senate's Budget Committee. Biden's appearance on the picket line was organised by Faiz Shakir, the Barney campaign manager for 2020. Across the board, former left populists are joining quotes, a top-down committee focused on influencing legislators – as Oliver Eagleton has described perceptively. On a very much smaller scale, Scotland got a taste of this effect from Muir Street. The action that saved two men from deportation has been eulogised in the name of the very institutions seeking their deportation, and which structure the European migration regime and discriminate against migrants from outside the continent. Police Scotland, answerable to the government through the Scottish Police Authority, provided much of the manpower for the eviction effort, And it is, of course, the EU which sets preferential treatment for EU citizens. The men were of Indian origin. Yet, Lorna Slater, for the Scottish Government, claimed the victory in the name of the EU. It is the destiny of people without political organisation to lose every battle, even the ones they win. Political energies need to find a home, especially once a social movement is defeated or merely contained – It is wide open to manipulation and reincorporation into the establishment edifice. I can't shake the feeling that this is what politicians on picket lines means. Less that unions are shifting the frame of official politics in their favour, more that politicians are turning up to supper. Every generation of socialists before our own has built independent political organisation, namely a party. It's a curious and troubling thought that, at least in the West, we are the first generation in around 150 years to neglect this very basic prerequisite for meaningful action. In the interregnum, we've gotten used to the radical right eating the left's lunch. Now the establishment centre wants a bite as well. Want more like this? Subscribe to Contra Radio on our Soundcloud, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our regular newsletter at contour.substack.com, and find great articles and more at contour.scott. We really rely on listeners like you to help us grow. In return, you get access to exclusive content and events by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash